Peace and Black Power family. This is your host, Raheem Shabazz. And today we have a special guest that's going to be on the Necessary Blackness podcast. This is an individual that continues to push for justice. And she has continued to push for justice for the unnecessary and brutal murder of her father and justice for other people. Today, ladies and gentlemen, we have Emerald Gardner. How are you doing, sister? I'm doing okay. Thank you so much for asking. Now, I want to get right into it. I want to, first of all, thank you for appearing on this podcast. And then I want to thank you for your book. You have an excellent book out. Um, I read it. And usually I'm able to read a book in, in, in one uh, sitting, but I had to keep constantly going back and you know, the paragraphs and the wording was so vivid. It was almost like watching a movie. Mm. Yeah, so I, I wanted to tell you that, sister. I really uh, enjoyed your book. Um, now, I, I want to start, right, from the dreadful day, you know, that will always be a dreadful day in Black America's history that happened on July 17, 2014, when your father was uh, brutally murdered by the New York State Police Department. Can you walk us through that day? What was it like for you? Um, I actually start the book on that day um, because it was like, that was the most dramatic and traumatic day um, mm -hmm. ever. I really feel like a lot of my problems started there. Um, and that it was a regular day in the middle of the summer um, and it was just like when I got the phone call from my mother, it was just like, uh, it was kind of like a rabbit hole. You just keep going down into the rabbit hole and then you finding out more information as it comes and you're listening to what the reports are coming from the doctors um, or the pol police at the scene or from people that seen things. And then you get the video. Mm. And then me personally, I never watched the video in its entirety until I was face to face in the courtroom with the officer. That was my first time actually watching the video in its entirety. Wow. Now, in your book, you know, you say you started your book uh, uh, with this scenario of what happened on July uh, 17, 2014, right? Um, your book, the title of it is called Finding Your Voice. When was it that you found your voice? Um, I, would, I would definitely have to say it was the moment um, that I lost it in front of the feds. Um, we were approaching the statute of limitation. Um, I was super emotional going through five years of being media exploited, you know, um, organizationally <laughs> exploited, exploited. It was just like a lot of, you know, a lot of things were happening. And when the federal government came back with the decision that they were not going to indict the officer, it was just like, here we go again, like another set of people, because we already went through the grand jury, um, the, the um, police officers representation um, and going through all of these channels and, you know, watching the video in front of the world um, and having the world watch the video. You're not going to indict. So it was just like, what did you review? What did you see that we didn't see? Mm -hmm. Like, or what did you not see? So I lost it. And I, I just went off in front of the courthouse. And I was just like, this is the moment where you're going to hear my voice. And it's not, it's not going to be nice. It's not going to be calm. It's not going to be sweet because apparently y'all don't understand what's going on and what's happening. And to not get that indictment 
is devastating. It's it's definitely hitting rock bottom. And you know, I already lost my father. I lost my sister. Mm. You know, I'm taking care of her kids. I'm working. I'm trying to be an activist. Still trying to make sure that my father's um, legacy lives on. Still trying to make sure that my mom is okay. Still trying to make sure my siblings are okay. I was dealing with a lot, and I was just like, you know what? Y'all y'all gonna hear me today, and y'all 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 gonna figure this out. Because if y'all don't, it's going to be a problem. And then after that video, I just did a lot of work in, a lot of media, a lot of getting out, a lot of pulling up, went to Gracie Mansion and pulled up on de Blasio, went off on him, went over here. I was like, you're not telling me what I want to hear. I went off on them. So a lot of what people experienced was me being angry. And I had every right to. And I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't feel ashamed for it. Um, if people don't forgive me for it, if people don't feel like, they feel like I'm just the absolute worst person in the world because of how I reacted to my father being killed on national TV. I, I just have no, no more sorries. I have no more sorries. I, I, it's done. And we got the CCRB trial and we got him fired. And that's, mm -hmm. that's all we can get. It was a win in some ways, but that's, that's pretty much all we got. Now I want to um, walk you back on, on when you started talking, you said the, um, the federal government, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and you're talking about the Department of Justice. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Initially, this was under um, President Obama, who's in charge of the um, Department of Justice and Eric Holder, correct? Absolutely. And then when the new administration came in, um, was the statute of limitation over when uh, Biden and them came in? No, right? So the statute of limitation was... Yeah. Um, no, Obama was in and then he had two more years. So um, um, because my sister was still alive when the mm -hmm. federal government started investigating. And when we went to a town hall where Obama was there, she personally went up to him and was like, what are you going to do about my father's case? And literally all he did was send paperwork. I appreciate the Obamas for mentioning my father's name, for, you know, saying it, keeping keeping his name in the media. But we needed more. She needed yeah. more. So, you know, I'm not knocking what anybody did, but she just needed more. She needed more action. And that's why she's not here today. Yeah, a lot of people believe, including myself, that Obama dropped the ball because this happened under his administration. And there's no way that you're going to leave it to the next administration because the next administration was Donald Trump. And we know nothing was going to happen on that watch. And I forgot the name of the man that he put in charge of the, the Justice Department because it wasn't the same person. It wasn't um, Eric Holder. Eric Holder, um, he, he wound up retiring. So it was somebody else, correct? Yeah, it was somebody else after that because um, Eric Holder supported. Um, everybody supported. Everybody said that they supported, but we needed... We need that that paperwork. We need that paper yeah. trail. And Erica needed that paper trail. And it devastated her. It broke her heart. She was she was not. Uh, me, I give people grace. I try to give people grace. Erica didn't give people grace. I need I, she needed action. She needed to see something happen for our father. And that's because she watched the video. I feel like if I would have watched the video, I would have suffered the same fate as her. And I'm not even, that's not even um, a joke. That's not even something that I say like, oh, it's just playing around. It's like, no, like if I would have seen the video at that time and watched it in its entirety, my yeah. mind would have definitely went there. So I had to like, after she died, I had to take a step back and literally save my life. Like I was now, literally tipping the edge. Now so for those that don't know, um, let people know who was your sister and how did she uh, die? Um, Erica was my oldest sister, um, and she, she was my oldest sister, my daughter, my father's oldest daughter, 
and um, we have the same mother and father. And she, like, after all of this, you know, Erica, she protested every Tuesday and Thursday for like two years in front of the police station where the officer worked. She took bridges. She, she, you know, pulled up on Obama. She pulled up on the mayor. She did a lot of work um, after my father died. And just three years after she died, uh, I mean, after he, after my father died, she passed away of a massive heart attack mm -hmm. at 27 with no wow. prior heart health is issues. Wow. So this literally that's... broke her heart and she, she actually had three heart attacks. So it was just, it was just a lot. And then you can see the change. Like when I would look at her, I'd be like, please stop watching the video. Like, let's figure out something else. Let's figure out what we can do. Let's figure out this. Like, let's, Let's hug some trees. Let's be calm. Like I was trying to like reel her in, like come, come, like let's try to calm down and really strategize and come up with a plan because all these people are coming at her. I want to help you. I want to help you. I want to help you. So she's spreading herself so thin and nobody's stopping to realize that she needs help mm -hmm. in the way that doesn't mean putting her in front of a camera. Yeah. She's strong and she has a big voice and all of this stuff. Nobody in her life, and I will say this, including myself, Nobody in her life took her by the shoulders and said, sit down. We need to figure this out. Mm -hmm. Nobody did it. And nobody cared about doing it. And after she died, I realized that. It was too late, but I realized that. And that's why I talk about in the book. It was too late to help her because nobody looked at the signs. Nobody looked at the symptoms. For me, it was just like, dang, like, she don't want me around because maybe I remind her too much of my father or whatever. So like we had a lot of anger issues. So she was mm. just like, dang, like, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. I'm just like, I still got to go to work. I still have to take care of Kaylee. You know, you have a constant babysitter. I don't have a constant babysitter. You know, it was just all of those battles yeah. of those things. So she felt like, oh, you don't care. You're not doing anything. And I'm just like, I just physically cannot. And she, she died with that mentality. Like I have to be out there. I have to do it. When in all actuality, we don't have to do anything we don't want to. And if it's yeah. just too much emotionally and it's breaking us down, we have to stop. There's well, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I know yeah. we want justice, but you have to stop. Let me say this. Um, first of all, I want to offer you the condolence, you know, for the passing of your father as well as your sister. And many people don't know after your sister transitioned, you know, you took on the responsibility to raise her kids as well. So now your burden got even deeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to go back to your book, Finding Your Voice. Was it uh, difficult for you to be vulnerable and for you to, you know, just lay it all on the table and, and, and talk about your personal life? Um, it was extremely hard because a lot of people really don't know um, we had issues before my father died. So I, I had my own issues, my own teenage mm -hmm. trauma that I had to deal with. And I felt like it was important to um, to highlight those things. Like, you know, a lot of things happen, you know, with going through people, going through family, going through transition. And um, when I decided to write the book, I said, I'm going to write it myself. But then it started to be emotional for me. And I was just like, I would start writing. Then I get emotional. I start crying, close the book don't deal with it. But then when I um, got with um, Monet, who is somebody who's known me since I was 10 years old, she's been around me. She understands, um, you know, at least a little bit. She doesn't understand me completely because we bump heads a lot, but it's because I'm a strong personality. Um, I cannot be persuaded easy. And um, I have a problem with people who always want to be in control. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm fine with taking a back seat. 
But it's just like when somebody tries to take the front seat in my car, it's just like, come on, now you're doing too much. But, um, you know, with her, it was just like I could be vulnerable. She knows my story. She knows my life. She knows my family. So it was a little bit easier to be vulnerable with her. And when Atan, I met Atan um, Thomas through um, working, doing activism work, he reached out to me for All-Star Weekend. And we've been like family ever since. Um, when, you know, he signed on to be a co-author, because I have two co-authors. Um, when he signed on, it was like, he start, he saw the political growth. He saw the activist growth. And I tell him, I don't like to be called an activist, but it is what it is. So I tell him, like, you know, he knows the growth from when I don't want to speak in front of cameras. I don't know any of this. He's experienced me, my siblings, my mom, you know, so he understood a little bit more. And I think yeah. that they did a great job putting it together and telling it in my voice. Um, and I think that it was very, very hard because it I'm sure that they have many of recordings of me crying because I had to like, hold on, let me get this cry out. And then let's get back to work. It was a little bit more easier because I had people who were understanding, who were like, okay, if you need to take a break, all right, just give me give me five minutes and then we'll come back to it. Or, you know, just with him letting the publishers know, like, listen, we want this to come out, but we want it to be right. So don't rush. They didn't really give me deadlines. They gave me a lot of room to just be vulnerable, lay it all out and just go through those emotions. And it was it was a it was a tough experience. It was really, really tough. But um, I think that having that support for people that know me, as opposed to getting a writer that does not know me at all. All right. Now, we're still talking on the subject of the book. Um, for those that are just joining us, I am talking to Emerald Gardner, and she is the daughter of Eric Gardner. Now, your book, what is one of the main things that you think or you want readers to walk away with after reading this book? Um, I want people to allow survivors of police brutality and state violence a little bit more grace, a lot more support, a lot more resources, um, a lot more empathy, and um, just understand that we have to be handled a certain type of way. Mm -hmm. And a lot of depression, anxiety, you know, mental health issues, it shows up as different things. And for me, it showed up as anger. So, mm -hmm. you know, I got to go back to all those people and be like, listen, my bad. You know, I was a little, a little messed up. <laughs> but I want you guys to understand that we are people at the end of the day. We still got to go through life. You know, after I took my sister's kids, it was like, you know, I thought I thought I was going to get help. People were going to be like, just, I, 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 got, remember, I got you, sis. I thought they were going to be like, I got you and the kids and let me help you out. Like, you know, let me do that. And, and I didn't get that. But I just want people to understand, like, just understand your words mean a lot. So when you read my book and you see, like, I went through these, these struggles, I'm not the only one going through it. I sit with people every Monday and they go through the same exact things that I'm going through. And they can absolutely relate. And I just want people to handle, handle us with a little bit more care. All right. Absolutely. Now, you spoke about asking individuals to give those that are victims of police brutality and state-sanctioned murder by the police, you ask that they give them grace, right? I want to pivot to what is now being talked about in the news, and that is Black Lives Matter. Not the movement, we're going to talk about the organization, and there's allegations of $90 million being misappropriated, right, by this organization. Um, not every chapter of 
uh, Black Lives Matter. Let's get that correct. It's just the leadership of the Black Lives Network. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I have really strong thoughts on that. Um, <laughs> I feel like, um, you know, things could be done a lot differently. Um, I think mm -hmm. that people can respond a lot differently. Um, and it doesn't always have to be this, this blow up. Like let's, let's get the details. Let's find out. Let's get, let's get the public records. Let's give, give, get, let, let's, I want to see. Like, so you're saying that this $90 million went here and here, where did it go? What, mm -hmm. and what, what, you know, what I, I seen that they said that somebody hired their cousin to do security or brother or whatever. Like, is that a crime? Or the is amount, it unlikely? I, I, is it, yeah, or was it the amount? Like, like you said, was it the amount? Yeah, it was the amount. The amount I don't know. I don't read the crazy. story. I'm just going to oh. be honest. I touch on it in my book. Everybody, you know, they do their own thing. My personal experience, I've never worked with anybody. I, I don't, I have, I haven't worked with anybody that I can recall that worked for that organization in mm -hmm. particular. I don't recall. Maybe Erica did. Maybe, you know, my grandmother did. There's seven of us in, in my father's yeah. house. So everybody did a lot of things different. Like, you know, every, we're scattered. Nobody, we're not all working under the same umbrella. Everybody's scattered all over the place. So I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, my personal experience is I have worked with organizations that's misappropriated funds. And I, I've seen it after the fact. And I was just like, oh, no, y'all are not doing the right thing. Let me just, like, back up. Because I'm, I'm not going to just be like, oh, let me go to the news and do this and do that. I don't have no concrete proof. I just see that I don't like the way that things are going. And I've been around organizations that are doing the right thing. So when I see organizations that aren't doing the right thing, I just back away from them because I can't control what you're doing, but I know that organizations get money for aligning themselves with victims of police brutality. And when organizations get said money, victims are left behind. So I can say that from my experience and from experiencing other victims, is it right? Absolutely not. And at the end of the day, they have to deal with what they have to deal with, which is now being pub being publicized that That's it was right. misappropriated, that this is not being done right. So clearly, Absolutely. there's a, a, a missing link, and either they're going to fix it, um, apologize, try to hold themselves accountable, and move forward because we have a bigger agenda to get to, or people are just going to be focused on the ninety million dollars and blah blah blah. This and the other. Are we giving them a chance to 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 reconcile? Are we giving them a chance to to make it right? Or are we just canceling these people? I don't like cancel culture. I think I think that we should give people an opportunity. Now, Kanye, I don't know. I'm kind of done with him. <laughs> but I think that other people, they deserve a second chance. Because I was a person who deserved a second chance. People who were incarcerated deserve a second chance. Absolutely. People who are were wrongly accused and went to jail and now can't find employment, they deserve a second chance. So I believe everybody deserves a second chance. But I think that that second chance comes with accountability. Mm -hmm. And there's no chances without holding yourself accountable. You have to say, I was wrong. What I did at the time, maybe you might have thought it was right, but now we know that it's wrong. What are you going to do to fix it? So I just say everybody should have an opportunity for a second chance. Now, what they do with that second chance is on you, but I don't really like to just, oh, let this person is canceled, that person is canceled. Let's see what you are. You going to go and hide and, and you know, let, let the media do what they do? Or are you going to stand up and use your voice to say, this is what's true and this is what's not true? And that's why I wrote the book, because there's a lot of things that are not true. So I put it in the book like this is my truth. And I think but, the So you already hear first, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to find out that truth, make sure you get that book, Finding Your Voice. 
And um, I, I just want to say in regards to the um, Black Lives Matter situation, this is my personal opinion. Um, there is no second grace for them because they, they have not took accountability. They have denied uh, all the allegations, even oh. after proof was presented, because, you know, you have to file it yeah, of where the money was spent. So I just think that we as a people, we have to start vetting people beforehand, mm -hmm. um, before, and well, not even people, organizations beforehand, and look at their track record and, and vet them and see if they are a good match. Um, so that's, one, yeah, that's one organization, right? But you yourself, you have an organization and you have a track record. So I think people need to support individuals such as yourself. Now, I want you to tell everybody about your organization, I Can't Breathe Inc., and what it is they can do to financially support you or to support you in any manner that you deem fitting for your organization. Yes, thank you. I appreciate it. And I, I appreciate your um, your stance on it. And, you know, I, I, I enjoy that people are able to, you know, give their opinions and, you know, talk about it because I didn't know, I didn't follow the story. So, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> so I just wanted to clear that up. I didn't follow the, the, my um, details. So I really didn't know that the proof was there and, you know, nobody came out, but anyway, like you said, accountability is the key. So, um, yeah. So like I said, my organization, we can't breathe incorporated. Um, it was created to support young people and mental health issues. Cause clearly, you know, there was a lot of, um, mishandling of mental health, um, you know, in, um, in, you know, issues. So um, my, my organization focuses on that and how people can help is we have a hotline that is after 5 p.m. Um, it's called After 5 for Justice, which is a hotline for young people that can call. They can call the number and they can just get somebody to talk to um, at any time after 5 o'clock from 5, 5 p.m. to 9 a.m. So we um, are looking to do um, you know, just, just check-ins. Like we just want to check in, make sure you're all right, make sure everything is good and just, um, get in partnership with people who can provide resources. So no, we're not licensed therapists, you know, we're not, um, you know, clinicians or anything like that, but we're just somebody to check in an extra resource to give you the extra push to, to go through, um, your weeks and your days. Um, and we also have a youth development program, job development program, okay. which is where we'll help you with your LinkedIn. We'll help you with your resume. We'll help you fill out applications, teach you how to fill out ap applications, <clears throat> excuse me, actually figure out how the algorithm algorithms work. So when you do an application and you send it in, they look for keywords. So you got to know what those keywords are so that when you put, put it in your resume, your resume gets spotlighted. So like things like that is what we teach the youth so that they'll get hired for the job. And not only that, we'll stick with them to make sure that they're going to work, make sure that they're making their schedule, make sure that, you know, what did you do with your money this week? Do you have lunch for every day? Do you have transportation? Did you pay your phone bill? Can you wait till next paycheck for this bill? You know, just making sure that they have the financial yeah. knowledge to keep the job. And then we also have Hearts for Justice, which is our mental health pillar, which is where I would love to connect with black mental health specialists who understand what we're going through um, because I have a group every Monday and you know I would like to bring in black mental health specialists to help out my people who have lost their sons to incarceration, correction officers. Um, you know, the young woman, um, her, her son was killed in Rikers Island, um, yeah. you know, 
and she's fighting for and in solitary confinement. And I'm, you know, supporting her through that, helping her and qualified immunity. Uh, we work with legislation. So we do a lot of policy, um, you know, a policy work. So we we went hard for the Eric Garner law, the Eric Garner, um, the Stefan Clark law and the Andrew Kirst law. Um, mm -hmm. Those three laws, we went hard for those. Now we're going into the federal laws. So we're working with Kirsten Gillibrand. We're bringing a lot of the black people, Senator Hastie, we're bringing all the black people together and we're like, listen, we need policies on mental health. We need policies mm -hmm. on jo job development. We need policies on, you know, how we're going to actually structure things. And the cool thing about my organization is we have a fiscal sponsor. So okay. the money doesn't go to one person. And I yeah. think that that's where a lot of people get it twisted. Like, they're, oh, I just see a lot of money. But it's like there's there's checks and balances. You got to have a payroll system. You got to have a way to track the spending. You got to have a way. You got to have systems. So um, we we built the organization on having those systems. And the groundwork I is that you have to volunteer before you even get a salary. Yeah, now you said a key thing, and, and I think it's very vital, especially dealing with the youth. Um, I help out with a lot of youth and the resume. <laughs> a lot of them need help with those resumes. So that's that's a very, very vital service. Now, you said that there's a number that individuals can call. Um, I want you to give that number, but before you give that number, I want to ask you, you said that they can call between the hours of 5 p.m., and 9 a.m. Is there a particular reason for, for the for those hours? Absolutely, because those were the hours that I was in trouble. So those I were the hours where I woke up in the middle of the night and I was just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I, I, I can't go outside because I have kids in the house. I can't go to a therapist because they're closed, but I could pick up the phone and I could call somebody to help me work through those issues. Mm. So we're, we're putting the system in place and bear with us. It's only three of us. Literally only three of us, um, but we we are we we are diligent. We're consistent, so you know we encourage people to call the number. And you know it, it might be three o'clock in the morning. You might have to leave a message. Somebody will get back to you in an hour or whatever. But we'll we'll make sure that we're here. We'll touch base with you. And I have a wonderful counselor, um, Diane Waterman. She is amazing. She is consistent. She literally does family counseling for me once a week um, with me and my children because we needed to find a balance in our home. And mm -hmm. I will call her in the middle of the night and she'll get up and we'll get on FaceTime. She's in her rollers and she puts her glasses on. She got a house coat and she's like, what happened? Let's talk about it. And like, she would stay on the phone with me for hours. So that type of support I really needed from somebody that was unbiased, that didn't know anything that was going on in my life, didn't mm -hmm. know anybody in my life, because it's like, you don't, you don't, you can't let certain things out because you think somebody's going to go talk about it. Mm -hmm. And that that's the part that that always hurt me is that as if I'm I'm being vulnerable with you, I'm telling you my my deepest darkest fears, and then now I hear it coming out of somebody else's mouth. So I wanted to make this a safe space that you could do virtually, um, or you could do it like video, or you could do it on the phone mm -hmm. to just talk because you have to get those out because if you keep it inside your your mind, it's just gonna it's gonna keep circulating and you have to get it out. Now, do you have that number? Yes, the number is 908-858-2432. 908-858-2432. Okay, okay. So now, is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have asked you that you would like to say or leave our people with in your last closing words? Um, I would just like to thank, thank you for your support. Thank you for your questions. Your questions mm -hmm. are really 
you know, intuitive. Um, I, I appreciate that you read the book. I can, I could, I can see that people are enjoying it. I'll be sure to sign your copy. I don't know where you are, but I'm going to be traveling. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in, I'm in Atlanta. Oh, well, when I come to Atlanta, I'm definitely going to touch base. I'm going to sign your book um, and all the book for you, books for your youth. So I'll definitely make sure because okay. I wanted to make sure that this book was an easy read for youth as well. Um, mm -hmm. You know, because, you know, our young people, they need they need love and they need Absolutely. support. And after this quarantine, my, my babies are struggling. So I need people that are going to actually care for them. And I, I, I appreciate you for working with the youth people and with the young people and, you know, being being um, a support for them. Because when I was young, I needed it. And now I know that they need it. But on my website is www.wecanbreathe.net. Um, I have all of my book tour and everything up there. The links and everything is up there. And um, people can um, reach out to me because I want to start a book club. Um, and we're going to start with my book. And um, I want to I start a book club starting next month. So I wanted to get make sure everybody got the books. And then we can really have um, deep conversation about it because the feedback for me is important because this is my first real project. Mm -hmm. uh, me just putting it out there. And I want to know if people really want to read, want to read it. Like, and if it's like, oh, okay, this is black. But when you say like, it sounds like a movie, that's yeah. what, that's what I was going for. I was oh, no, yeah, to it, definitely, it definitely <laughs> sounds like a movie. Now, somebody in the chat, we got a couple of people in the chat. Uh, someone asked that if you can say the website, but say it slow this time. <laughs> they say you said it too fast. I talk fast. I'm sorry. I get super nervous. Um, it's www.wecantbreathe.net www.wecantbreathe.net and that's where you can find out the tour information where you can purchase the books and everything else well emerald garner it was a pleasure interviewing you i appreciate you taking the time out and if there's anything that we can do to help and assist you we'll do all we have and all within our power and i encourage everybody to make sure you get this book Finding My Voice by Emerald Gardner. Peace and Black Power family. This is your host, Raheem Shabazz, and we are out of here. Salute.